Welcome once again to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. We are loved by a quirky God, a God who forgives anyone who repents. In this episode, Pastor Andrew contrasts the unforgiving world to our wonderful, quirky, forgiving God. Over the last month or so, I have gone to quote some of the significant men of God of the past to find that when I looked up their current status, it was not good. And you sit there and think, we are all, in a sense, as pastors and as leaders, quite vulnerable. How do we approach this as Christians? How do we see this? And I want to start with picking up a quandary about King David and his behavior. And I want to pull in two other men of God who were in that time of David. There was Eli the priest who mentored Samuel the prophet from the age of three years upwards. And then, of course, Samuel was the one who anointed David as king. In the early days of his mentoring, Samuel had a message from God given in the middle of the night, and that message was the destruction of Eli's household. And Eli demanded he tell him because he knew that God had been spoken to Samuel. And Eli's household was going to be destroyed because he had allowed his sons, who were quite evil, to pollute the sacrifices, to manipulate the sacrifices and use it for their own ends. And then we have Samuel. And Samuel is, in some senses, among some scholars, seen as a type of Christ. He's one of the good guys in the Old Testament, one who doesn't mess it up. And in his final time with Israel, he asked them to give account. What had he possibly done ever that had been wrong? And nobody could bring a charge against him. And yet Samuel's sons were evil. He certainly didn't allow them near the sacrifices. But they were evil. So you have this sort of family conflict going on. And then we come to David. And one of the things that we need to note is that if we're not where we should be, we need to get there. David comes out one morning on his rooftop and looks across and here's this beautiful woman showering naked. David should not have been on his rooftop. He should have been out with his army. He should not have been there. That was the first mistake. Secondly, he didn't look away. He kept looking at this lady and then enticed her and then slept with her a number of times and lo and behold, she became pregnant. 
well, what do you do? So David comes up with a plan. He'll get the husband back from the army, back from the battlefield, and tell him to go home and have a night with his wife, and that'll fix it up. But Uriah, the husband, is an honourable man and does not want to go in with his wife when he should be out of the battlefield, so he sleeps on the front step. And, of course, that messes things. So David has to deal with Uriah and comes up with a plan of getting him into the front of the battlefield and leaving him out there by himself to be killed by the enemy. So, in a sense, he actually murders Uriah. And then, of course, he takes Bathsheba to be his wife. And she's pregnant. And then Nathan, the prophet, comes to David and tells him a riddle. And the riddle makes David really angry. And Nathan says, you're the man. You took Uriah's wife. And then you murdered him. And then David repented, absolutely repented before God. And then God said to him, this is going to cost you, David. From your own household, you will have calamity. And the baby will not be born. And the baby died, which is really sad for them. But we have Solomon come out of the relationship between David and Bathsheba. So the question is, here's a guy who sleeps with another man's wife and then murders him. What sort of person is this? This is supposed to be a man after God's heart. This is supposed to be the epitome of kingship in Israel. He's supposed to be the good guy. And yet he does something that I think most of us would not even think of doing. He murders somebody to get his wife. And yet God doesn't fire him. So what is God doing? Now, if we read the full story of David, we get the sense that it didn't go well for David. Yes, he remained king, but his family life was just really horrific. And so he paid a price. But why would God allow such a man to remain in such a position? And that's the quandary. So why don't we get a picture of our God? We can say, well, yes, in the Old Testament, they lived in a different time and a different culture. Evil was such a prevalent and violent thing culturally in the nations that surrounded Israel and even within Israel itself and in Judah when the nation split. So who is our God and what does he do with the atrocities that we do? What does he do when we blow it really badly? Well, God has this side to him that drove Jonah bananas. We always think that Jonah headed for the hills or headed for the sea because he was afraid to go to Nineveh, when Nineveh was an extremely violent city. But that wasn't Jonah's problem at all. Jonah was worried about God, this quirky God, Israel's God. 
Nineveh had done atrocious things to Israel time and time again. And Jonah was not really happy with going and proclaiming destruction upon Nineveh. Now, you would have thought he'd be really joyed. God's going to wipe them out, you know. I'm going to go and tell them, you're going to get wiped out. No, Jonah realized that God's quirkiness could make him relent of his promise. That if Nineveh repented, God would forgive them. And then finally, after he got out of the whale, and he went to Nineveh, Nineveh repented. Every person in the city went to sackcloth and ashes and repented. And God relented. And said he wouldn't destroy them after all. And Jonah was just ropeable. He said, I knew you would do this. I knew you would do this. This quirky God that we worship. That has this thing that he pardons. You know, Nineveh no longer exists. Because 40 years later, they unrepented. Went back to their old ways and they were destroyed by other nations. So in the end, God's promise did happen. But God has this sense of wanting to get us in the long term. Wanting to have us come to him. As Paul notes at the end of our reading from Corinthians, that we might be the righteousness of God. What is God wanting? He's wanting us to be righteous people. And do you know from that passage, if you get the gist of what Paul's really saying, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. If you come to repentance and true commitment to God, you become a new creation. The new has come and the old has gone. That God gives us a clean slate, a new beginning. That we might become the righteousness of God. Why does he do that? Because if he didn't do that, none of us would be there. None of us could do it. We're all tarred with the same brush, aren't we? Some of us probably a bit worse than others. Remember meeting Nicky Cruz for the first time in King's Cross, who was a violent warlord of the New York Mau Mau gang who had come to Christ through David Wilkerson. And when he took my hand and says, I love your brother, I was engulfed in the love of God. This violent, murdering young man from the slums of New York City had been transformed by Jesus Christ. So this quirky God that we have is a God that pardons And yet, in David's case, there was a pardon, but not complete. That David was still going to pay the price for his sin, for his atrocity. But he was still going to be used by God. In our culture, there's no forgiveness. 
So our culture's response to our falling, our failure, our atrocities are quite different from God. Now let's get it clear. God does not forgive unrepented sin. He's not a pushover. He is a righteous God because he calls us to account for our sin. But he's also a benevolent God because when we repent, he pardons and forgives our sin and waywardness. And that makes him a peculiar God. He's not out to destroy us, but to save us. And he's out to save us from ourselves because we're our own worst enemies when it comes to sin and waywardness. Paul tells us from last week's reading in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 and 13, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. It doesn't matter what the stresses are. God has provided a way out of the stress. That's what Paul says. But he says to us at the beginning, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Arrogance and pride are a prelude to a fall. And the times when we think we're at our best, we need to be careful. Because at that time, we can fall. Because at that time, we are open to temptation. At that time, we think we're above the repercussions of yielding to that temptation. It's at that time that somewhere in our deep psyche we think we're better than others, that the rules don't apply to us, and that we'll get away with it. To the gist of what Paul is saying, we need to be seriously careful. And if we are stressed and we are tense and we are tempted, God has made a provision at that point, a provision for us to withstand the temptation and resist it. You know what? We don't take the way out. We mentally are in a place where we think we're okay, we think we're all right, and we don't take the means that he gives us to release the stress, to relieve the tension, and then to resist the temptation. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, verse 11 onwards, This is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. 
if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. I'm not quite sure we like that, but it was going well until then, wasn't it? It was really uplifting. Wow, you know, we're going to reign with Jesus. And all. But if we deny him, he's going to deny us. And Jesus said that a number of times. That if we deny him, he will deny us before the Father. When we turn up to the judgment seat and he looks down and he says, I don't know who this person is, Father. That would be the most devastating thing, I think, to face at the judgment. That he denies even knowing us. And then Paul finishes. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So we need to get the gifts that this quirky God, at least in Jonah's picture of things, is an awesome, righteous, holy God. And he will not deviate from that. He cannot deviate from that because to deviate would be go against his entire nature as God. In Luke 18... Verses 6 onwards. Jesus talks about the lady who went to the judge for justice and he kept sending her away until she bothered him so much that he gave her judgment just to get rid of her. And he said, as a result at the end of this parable, hear what the judge just said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out, day and night to him though he bears long with them I tell you that he will avenge them speedily nevertheless when the son of man comes will he really find faith on earth do you understand that will any of us be able to stand Will any of us be found faithful? I don't know if Jesus was being prophetic here. Maybe he was just in the midst of the turmoil and the rejection, the suffering and all that was going on around him as the son of the living God in the person of Jesus Christ. He's asking himself, will I ever find faith on earth? He did. Time and time again when he would comment on people who had been healed that your faith has made you well. But he asks us the question at the end of the day, at the end of time, will we be found faithful? And then I think out of Timothy, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The quirkiness of God revolves around a thing called repentance. The righteousness of God will judge our sin and find us guilty and there's punishment to be had. But the whole sense of Jesus Christ is he came 
and paid the punishment for us. If he's done that, how do we engage the forgiveness that he offers? It comes through repentance. It comes through being absolutely honest with God and others. I really was wrong. No excuses. No, the stress was too much. None of the excuses that we could roll around. Oh, the temptation was too overwhelming. I just couldn't resist it. None of that. But simply saying to Father God, through Jesus Christ, I was wrong, wrong. I got this so wrong. And what a gospel reading to have today. Prodigal son. Who went and did things that I don't think the Bible really wanted to describe. And realizes how wrong he'd been. So when he comes home, it's as a servant, not a son. And his father runs out and restores his sonship and all the privileges of that sonship. And so when we come to repentance, and it's true repentance, Father God runs out, hugs us, pardons us, forgives us, and restores us to sonship and daughtership. Because that's his quirky nature. There are other gods out there that would just trample you into the dirt. But not our God. Now, is the sin excused? Absolutely not. But it is forgiven. And it is pardoned. Let us pray. Father, you know how frail and weak we are that even our best intentions can turn to dust. Even in our best times, we can turn away. We pray for those who have been impacted by the failure in their own lives, asking that you would support, forgive, and bring your loving kindness into the midst of their pain. But Lord, we pray for ourselves that we would take your path out of the midst of temptation. That we would resist it because we take the way out that you've provided. And Lord, where we have stuffed it up, seriously, that we'll come to repentance. True repentance before you. We thank you that as our God, when you do that, you truly pardon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au